everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. And today we are in John 10, where Jesus teaches the profound but amazing teaching that he is the Good Shepherd. We read, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him is the gatekeeper. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down but my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is, in, and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We'll go ahead and stop there right now. All right. So this chapter is really divided into three main sections, right? First, we get that good, uh, the Good Shepherd Discourse, which we've been looking at. Then we see the discourse with the Jews at the Feast of Dedication. And then finally, there's a closing section, which we'll get to all in just a little bit. Now, the chapter is unified by the teaching uh, of the certain character of Christ's saving activity. For God has come as the good shepherd in Christ Jesus. In Ezekiel 34, God had promised that he would come when he exposed the wicked shepherds, the wicked leaders of Israel who had led their people astray. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When he does this, everyone there, would have, their ears would have perked up and heard the words of Ezekiel 34 and the promise that God himself would come to redeem, to care, and to lead for his people. When many people think of this, though, when Jesus claims to be a good good shepherd, many of them just kind of see this pastoral interlude here. A placid scene with Jesus surrounded by calm sheep. In fact, though, the statement was a very dangerous claim as Jesus was absolutely attacking the leadership of Israel, both their governmental leadership as well as their spiritual leadership. Shepherd was a regular image for a king. And when Jesus declared that all his predecessors were thieves and robbers, he presumably indicates that at the least the Hasmonean dynasty, which was, you know, and, and the house of Herod, 
as well as all of those other false messiahs that had come up before him, all those were thieves and robbers. Jesus' kingship, however, the fact that he is the good shepherd, will be radically different. And it will be different because it will be characterized by his self-giving death. That is how he will not only rescue Israel, but also the other sheep from other fields. And through that, they will become one flock under one shepherd. No, there are not two different people of God. There is one people, one flock under one shepherd. I love what Clement of Alexandria said when he commented on this passage. He said, quote, In our sickness, we need a Savior. In our wanderings, a guide. In our blindness, someone to show us light. In our thirst, the fountain of living water that quenches forever the thirst of those who drink from it. We dead people need life. We sheep need a shepherd. We children need a teacher. The whole world needs Jesus. End quote. What a powerful, powerful quote there. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I know my own and my own knows me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my own life. Here we see this beautiful reality, the fact that the only one who can know the Father is those who know Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle revelation of God the Father. And thus, to know the Father, you must know the Son. And if you reject the Son, you have rejected the Father. He lays down his life for the sheep. What a shepherd he is. But notice that he has the authority and that no one can take this life from him. He has to give it himself. This goes to show of the free and voluntary nature, the deep love behind Christ's sacrificial giving. No one could take that from him. No one could just take his life. He had to lay it down freely, volitionally. And not only did he have the power to do that, but he had the power to take up his life again. The picture of the resurrection declared here in verses 18. This powerful reality that Jesus is making here is very obvious. He is God who has come as a king to shepherd his people to glory by laying down his own life in order that they might live. What a good shepherd we have. Who is it that we are following? What blind guides are we going after? We read verse 22. At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. Right there, he just said, I told you that I am. You don't believe it. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, It is not for a good work that you are going to st- we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? 
If he called them gods, these are all little g, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to, to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan in the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said to him, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so here we are, the Feast of Dedication, which is the festival now called Hanukkah, which is why that thief and ro robbers line early, I do think was referring to the Hasmonean dynasty, like those previous kings, Jewish kings, that um, were the ones who established um, Hanukkah, which came during the rise of the Maccabeans and things like that. So Jesus is walking in the in the colonnade of Solomon, right? This portico with a roof, supporting columns on each side of the court of the Gentiles in Herod's temple. And they just ask him, right? Hey, if you're the Christ, well, why don't you just say it? And Jesus already said, right? I told you so. The problem is not that I haven't told you or that I haven't been clear. The problem is, is that you don't believe me. Then he says something remarkable about why they don't believe. They don't believe because you are not a part of my flock. Only those who are Christ whom the Father has given him come to faith. Others are so blinded by their sinful prejudice that they refuse to believe. And so only the regenerate have been born again are those who are in the flock of Christ. And only those in the flock of Christ are those who can see and believe. So God has to put you in the flock in order for you to know your shepherd and to know and believe that he is indeed your good shepherd because he says my sheep they listen to me they follow me right these believers show renewal and the new direction and commitments of their lives the lord gives his sheep the endless life of fellowship with god and he protects them from perishing according to the infallibility of divine grace he allows no one to snatch them from his hand his saints will preserve because god preserves them the sheep are not able to snatch themselves out of God's hand because the divine shepherd will keep all of his true sheep from eternally straying. The solemn warnings of Scripture against apostasy are not intended to cause doubt about God's perseverance with those he saved, but rather serve as a means of, by which God uses to preserve his people by showing them and reminding them of the warnings of a life apart from him and the judgment to come from doing so is. So it's those warnings that actually serve as a means of his grace, which drive us to further faithfulness in our perseverance uh, that he is keeping us in by his grace. Right? He says that me and the Father are one, not identical persons, but one in essence. Right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit possess alike the fullness of divine nature, the essential unity underlying their unity in their redemptive purpose. But this verse indicates here not so much their nature as, as much as it indicates their purpose. They are one in what? The salvation of the sheep. Verses 31 through 33, the Jews understand Jesus' claim to deity, and they're preparing to stone him. For what? Because you, being a man, make yourself God. There was no confusion as to what Jesus was teaching, which is what shocks me when there's so much confusion today. It was clear that Jesus was referring to himself as the God-man, 
as God incarnate. And it's why they want to stone him. They're, they're not confused in their understanding of what they're saying. They are confused in their unbelief of refusing to receive the fact that he is indeed God in the flesh. And so they seek to stone him because of blasphemy. Now, Jesus goes off and gives this little interesting discussion here regarding gods in verses 34 to 38. You see, in the Old Testament, human judges were often referred to as gods, little g, because they were viewed as acting in God's place in dispensing judgment. The Hebrew word Elohim is used not only to refer to the one true God, but also to denote false gods, angels, and very rarely men exercising divine functions. And Jesus' argument may be understood as follows. Rather than taking offense because the word is used of me, you should examine my credentials that prove that my Father has sent me in this world. Rather than just trying to get mad about my, my language, how about you actually open your eyes and see what it is that God's doing through me, and then you will have no issue with what I'm saying. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at here, right? He says the Scripture cannot be broken. What a strong statement of the authority of Scripture. In this serious confrontation that was to end in his death, Jesus never hesitated to base his whole argument on one word of a minor psalm from, of Asaph, right? That the scriptures cannot be broken. Jesus recognized that the Father is in him and he is in the Father. And that the fullness of the revelation of God is being made through him. And that the only hope of having life, the only hope of being brought into good pastures, is to see in Christ the glorious reality that He is indeed the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in flesh, who has come to redeem His, his flock, those who repent and follow His voice wherever He calls them to. Today, what a great encouragement it is to know that you have a shepherd who will not lose one of those whom the Father has given him. And two, what a shepherd that you have that not only pursues us, has gathered us, has made us his own, but will keep us faithfully to the end. What a wonderful shepherd. I have given him millions of reasons to let go of me, but not one of them will ever suffice because in Christ Jesus, God says, you're mine. You're mine, and I won't let you go. Oh, will you not live today in light of the wonderful assurance and glory that you belong to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, who never abandons his flock, never abandons them to the wolves, never leaves them alone, but is with us always to the end of the age. God bless.